It's time to name the neglect from typical food advice. Welcome to the Find Your Food Voice podcast, hosted by me, Julie Duffy Dillon. I'm a registered dietitian with 20 years of experience partnering with folks just like you on their food peace journey. What have we learned? Well, cookie cutter approaches exclude too many people and you don't need to be fixed. It's not you, it's not me, it's all of us. Only together, we can start a movement and fix diet culture, and we will. Let's begin with now. Hey there, welcome to episode 317 of Find Your Food Voice. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, registered dietitian and partner on your food peace journey. We are so glad you're here. And this episode is a special diet culture IRL episode. This is an episode where we have Colleen Bremner join us. Colleen is someone who's on the PCOS Power team and Hype Woman Extraordinaire. She loves to share her like goings on in diet culture as someone with lived experience who is trying to reject diet culture. And this episode is devoted to a piece of journalism that we think is pretty shit that talks about saving money by skipping meals. Ugh. So we are excited to get to it because again, it's shit. <laughs> There's so many other ways to help yourself move forward in life and save some pennies without hurting yourself with malnutrition. So we are going to get to this conversation. And before we get to it, a quick word from our sponsors. This episode of Find Your Food Voice is brought to you by my decoding and demystifying PCO carb cravings webinar. I wish you weren't taught to be ashamed of your PCOS carb cravings. You aren't weak for having them. You aren't gluttonous for eating in response to them either. You aren't doing it wrong. I wish you were taught these carb cravings are insightful. I have noticed there are two different types of PCOS carb cravings that give amazing, distinct intel. I wish you were taught from the get-go that both are to be trusted. Are PCOS carb cravings annoying as fuck? You bet. Should they be ignored or tricked? No way. Let's fix this. I'm putting together a mini training on PCOS carb cravings. It's a bite-sized lesson to help you move from chaotic with cravings to decoding their wisdom. You'll also learn the two different types of PCOS cravings and what they are telling you about your current PCOS symptom management. At this free webinar, you also get a peek into PCOS power. It's an open house tour of all that is included. The learning modules, the community, the workbook, the discount, discounted dispensary, and so much more. And remember, it's free. So if you are interested, go to bit.ly slash PCOS carb cravings. Again, it's bit 
dot Lee slash PCOS carb cravings, and you will get to all the information and a place to sign up. The Wall Street Journal recently made the front page of my mental newspaper with their headline, to save money, maybe you should skip breakfast. Ironically, this article sits behind a paywall. So maybe instead of skipping breakfast to cut costs, WSJ subscribers should cancel their subscriptions. But what do I know? I read the article appalled that this was what the WSJ felt summed up the state of our consumer price index for January and how we as consumers should best move forward. Gabriel T. Rubin, national economics reporter for the WSJ, wrote, Several breakfast staples saw sharp price increases due to a perfect storm of bad weather and disease outbreaks and continued effects from Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Breakfast lovers might be better off just having a cup of coffee, but go with roasted, not instant, he later writes. While the article focuses primarily on inflation, the tactic of encouraging readers to forego breakfast staples for financial well-being is eye-opening to me. So in today's episode of Diet Culture IRL, I want to break down why this headline is so jarring and clarify a person should never be encouraged to skip a meal. First of all, let's discuss the fact that even before the price of eggs skyrocketed, there have been many families all over who cannot afford to purchase them, with skipping breakfast not being a choice, but a requirement for their household. The place of privilege people come from influences everything, from purchasing power to how they write an article, as painfully evident with this crass and inappropriate headline. One person tweeted, capitalism has now gone from abundance for everyone to starving is okay, actually, with another commenter making mention that industry near monopolies are actually to blame for higher prices that burden the consumer instead of the industry owners. Profitable corporations are hell-bent on making people fear resource scarcity, rather than admit these corporations are the ones ripping people off. Food insecurity has long been an issue, and with inflating prices, corporate media wants to pull the chicken feathers over our eyes by suggesting skipping meals as a simple solution. I took the liberty of writing our new slogan for the U.S., Capitalist America, where profitable corporations use their monopolies at the expense of people's well-being. With headlines like these encouraging folks to skip meals to save money, what's stopping them from saying skip more than just breakfast? Why, if you skip all three, think of all the money you'll save. This is just icky and poor journalism. Not to mention, this is asking people to begin a disordered eating journey or encouraging an eating disorder that may already be a part of someone's life. While this diet culture IRL is mixed with a rant, I hope it has you thinking about a few different topics and how they intersect in our day-to-day lives. I'm looking forward to unpacking this with Julie and hearing your feedback as well, dear listeners. Hello there, Colleen. How are you doing? Hey, Julie. <laughs> doing well. Did you eat breakfast? I did. <laughs> I mean, and I had yeah. eggs. <laughs> That's like, fuck y'all in every way. Um, <laughs> so my, first of all, thank you for writing that. And this was an article when I saw it float by, I honestly thought it was a joke. I was like, is this from the onion? You know, but um, <laughs> no, it's from the Wall Street Journal. But what do you remember learning about breakfast? Oh, good question. Uh, That it was the most important meal of the day. And Mm -hmm. that 
if I didn't eat breakfast, I'd probably feel really hungry like before lunchtime. <laughs> mm-hmm. And probably was actually the case. Yeah, probably. You know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and to be transparent, um, it's noon when we're recording this. And literally, I just started feeling hungry for lunch. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, yeah. So, you know, appropriate. But yeah, like <laughs> as dietitians, especially, you know, we know the battle cry is like breakfast is the most important meal of the day until intermittent fasting became in vogue, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is definitely something that we've been like trying to push. And I say we as dietitians, because we have known that from the research that when a, someone eats within the first hour or two of being awake, that it helps with blood sugar regulation, no matter what their blood sugar was in the morning, like having especially carbs. Having carbs first thing is really important to continue with blood sugar regulation because breakfast, the name is like literally like breaking the fast because you were just Mm -hmm. sleeping. But then also like all the research with learning and children and school, like we have so much research that's like, hey, if you eat, if your kid eats before school, you're going to actually like be able to learn in school. Um, And yeah, like that's been such a big push so much so that we have like free breakfast at school. I know that a lot of that's going away now, like in my um, school district, it's no longer free for everybody. It was for a really long time. Um, I digress. But anyway, so we know that like eating in the morning is really important for like blood sugar regulation and learning, but I would also say like energy, which taps into like capitalism and like productivity. Like if we want to have a productive workforce, eat breakfast. Um, yeah. And I think too, I mean, you were talking about some some breakfast programs not being offered anymore in school. Mm-hmm. And I have many teacher friends who now like out of their own budget purchase breakfast items to make sure that like people that don't, they know that their families can't afford to provide mm-hmm. breakfast are, are now providing it out of their own budget. So yep. it's like, I mean, so many, so many issues with, with all of this, but, mm-hmm. um, I think too, like how I was socialized in elementary school was like the cool kids came with a pop tart or a granola Ooh, yeah. or yeah. like, you know, one of those like sugary or like packaged things and mm-hmm. the like not cool kids were the ones that like got breakfast at school and like had it in the cafeteria. So it was like cool Mm -hmm. to bring your own food, but like eating in the cafeteria was like not a cool thing. Uh, Not sure if you listener have shared any shared experience or differing experience, but would love to hear about it. Well, and that's why like in my, my school district for a long time, it was just free for everyone. Part of it was that reason to like eliminate Mm -hmm. the stigma of relying on it. I know we're getting away from the article, but still like, that's like how important this is and why this article is the biggest middle finger to all this. Um, And, you know, I, I, after I read through what you um, just read and read through the article, there were lots of things that came to mind for me and I know for you too. So we're going to just have to unpack this in a messy way, you know, that's, but um, just skimming off the top. um, Not, this is something that like, reading an article like this and um, for all the clients I've had over the last 20 years, 
who were in the throes of an eating disorder, reading an article like this, even just seeing the headline would be just enough for them to be like, that's all the permission I needed to not eat breakfast. See? Wall Street Journal says. Um, So immediate harm. Um, And then for folks who are like one step away from like starting an eating disorder or like um, because of the genetic ties to it and the environmental ties to it, like having that environmental trigger may have been just just enough to like set that shit storm off. Yeah. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that part as it relates to like eating disorders. I mean, I the first thing I did, I actually read the headline and refused to read the article right away for mm-hmm. that very reason. My own mm-hmm. disordered eating mind was like, mm-hmm. oh, well, that's what you used to do. So mm. <laughs> uh, I think that just, it normalizes you know, it. Like, yeah, I was like, oh, wow. And now the Wall Street Journal, which is like a somewhat prestigious journalism outlet, uh, mm-hmm. is like coming out with just, uh yuck. <laughs> I don't have, I feel like I don't have good words for it, but I can tell you it made me feel icky and mm-hmm. also brought up like those past feelings of like, well, that's what I used to do. And the, the shame around it kind mm-hmm. of bubbled up a little bit mm-hmm. more for me. It was like the individual like shame. Yeah. Um, when it's like this whole kind of oppressive system that's in place that really is behind it and not your own individual like behaviors that kind of provoked all that. You know what I mean? Um, that's part of like what the system is hoping will happen with things like this. And, um, just in case listener, you haven't read this article, do like proceed with caution. Just like Colleen mentioned, like it may, like it's, it's amazing how just reading the headline set off that red flag for you, which is yeah. great for like how your brain has helped you in recovery. Then, you know, if it yes. has like a red flag like that and you're, you're like, Oh, yep. Heard, heard the red flag. I know it's there. Yeah. Um, but we will have a link to in the show notes in case it's something that you want to like, wait, let me read this. Um, and I just need to say from like the, like 30,000 foot view of this article, it was really um, insulting one, how short it was and two, how much power that short thing had. And then he's like an economics reporter. Yeah. So, and hearing that, like, or like just putting that all together, I'm like, okay, it's an economics person who is reporting on this. It brought up for me so much of like the financial side of people um, higher weight people, like how yeah. O word interventions often bring up the economic burden of this. And yeah. so if someone is like really looking at things through the lens of numbers, um, finances, economy, of course, they're going to like think that this is a really important thing because they're thinking already about the economic burden that yeah. certain folks are putting on it instead of uh, putting on, you know, what? I don't know. <laughs> Like the economic burden to healthcare, whatever, like that's so much of that is like another episode because it talks about like really, for me, it brings up how much that is rooted in the bias and um, and then the oppression in itself. But anyway, that's going past this. Um, I don't, so yeah, when I think about the looking at food access and um, people like not able to access this because of food and just thinking, well, it's just going to be better for everyone to eat less. Do you hear what I'm saying with that? Like if yeah. you're thinking about bodies as like smaller is better, smaller is healthier, smaller is yeah. cheaper. 
um, then this would be like a really great article to write. I can almost see the the uh, pitch happening. Yeah. <laughs> in the Wall, Wall Street Journal, is that what this is in? Um, mm-hmm. And then be like, yeah, great idea. Yeah, everybody should eat less. Like that's the kind of shit that I know for those of you who have eating disorders, that's the kind of like message in your brain. Yeah. Like, yeah, everybody should eat less. So me too. And the message doesn't go away. Like that, it's not, yeah. it's it, it's like the message is still there in the back of my brain. And mm-hmm. it's it when things like this come out, it creeps further to the front of my brain. Like mm-hmm. I've spent a lot of time with healing and with working on on that, but it's not like it's it goes away. That little voice mm-hmm. is always back there. So it's mm-hmm. it's a matter of well, how do we nurture that little voice to mm-hmm. to heal it rather than, mm-hmm. you know, shit like this. <laughs> that mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. It's, it's not, it's not doing it. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, whatever you, like that little voice is doing so much better for you being back there. Like you said, <laughs> you know, like yeah. having it back there is so much better when it's minimized, but you're aware of it, but it's minimized. Yeah. Um, and I just could imagine when I saw this, like how undergraduate nutrition programs everywhere are probably talking about it mm, as a positive mm-hmm. thing and how this may be a good thing. And that makes me so mad. And there's something about opinion articles in reputable places that mm. have had a lot of power and have changed um, history, have changed um, the direction of conversations. Mm-hmm. When I read this, it did bring up for me um, the quote that Colleen, you may have heard at some point. Have you heard this quote that um, this generation's kids are going to be the first generation with a shorter lifespan than their parents? No, I haven't heard that quote. Well, I'm so glad. It was like the battle cry of the <laughs> 90s um, for higher weight kids. It was a, and and if you look at research on why we need to intervene on children um, or with children who are in higher weight bodies, like why we need to like so strongly intervene. This um, article from, I think it was in like Lancet or British Medical Journal or or maybe it was even one in the United States. I don't know, but um, I can't remember. But there was this article that was published. And again, it's cited everywhere that people talk about, I'm trying not to use the word, word, O word, but like anytime childhood O word epidemic is brought up, this is used in the beginning for the reason. And when you look at that citation, it is an opinion from a random doctor Mm. who, and it got this public, uh, this opinion piece got published and it had such a great, great soundbite. This generation of children will be the first to have a shorter lifespan than their parents. This is the first generation that this will happen. And it was just someone's opinion. It was not based on Mm -hmm. fact. It was not based Mm -hmm. on research. It was not based on anything. And that has been used since the 90s to prevent access for kids, to bully kids in higher weight bodies. Yeah. Because it's like, it's better for them if they were just smaller. So like shaming is better. You know, all that shit that like we are against. Um, and this article to me reminds me so much of that. It's this random economics reporter's opinion that if you don't have access to your typical breakfast staples, you should just eat less. And I think it has the power to change trajectory in the same way. And this scares the shit out of me. (laughs) So, um, and that's why I was even more offended when I saw it was like 300 words. I don't know how short it was. I was like, 
Oh, I just, I just think about like, okay, I, I get your like in economics and this is like, you know, the prices are raised, like they're on the rise. Okay. I get mm-hmm. that that's your, your thesis of this. Cause that ultimately is what the article is about. Mm-hmm. The headline doesn't actually have a lot to do with the contents of the article, mm-hmm. but what if rather than that scarcity mindset and putting people into a, a frenzy and a panic, which honestly is more fear mongering than anything else, why not provide other resources or options like, okay, Uh eggs are expensive right now, but like we're bananas are looking good. Like, I don't know any (laughs) other, like any other, you know, other (laughs) breakfast type food that folks might eat. Like oatmeal is also another great option. Like why not provide this like Uh sense of like collective brainstorming? Like Hey, in the comments, let us know what, what other food options might be um, accessible to you right now. Do you have your own community garden? Like that just changes the entire conversation and the, um, I I guess the, the vibe of, of the Mm -hmm. article to me, it's, it seems more collaborative. It seems more open, but rather it's, it's like, no, rather let's do this kind of scarcity mindset fear mongering. Cause that's what people really respond to. Yeah. You got to do your part and yeah. bootstrap it. Um, I did a little Google search after I read this and like read through your statement. And I found a number of articles that were like negative, um, in their reaction to this, just like how we're having, And, you know, if you've listened to this podcast before, you know that I'm not Gen Z or millennial, you know, I was born in 1975, hardcore Gen X here. And a lot of the reactions were from folks who are younger than me and um, more your age group, Colleen. And I have um, an article that I read. I'll put a link to it in the show notes, um, but it's from Board Panda, you know, (laughs) and they quoted a TikToker, Michael Vaughn. I'm going to read through what he said because what you were just talking about, it kind of brings this up for me. Um, and they said, we also asked Michael if he had any recommendations for what Gen Zers and millennials can actually do to com- combat inflation. The problem isn't inflation, he said. It's corporate greed. It's stock buybacks that reward shareholders, the vast majority of whom are the ultra-rich, rather than reinvesting profits into company growth and the wages of the employees who propelled that success, he explained. The egg industry decries an egg shortage while also celebrating their record profits. That's greed, not inflation. With inflation, Mm. everyone struggles. With corporate greed, corporations profit at the expense of the middle and working class. That's what's happening. and yeah, the person writing this article, what was his name? Gabriel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, all right, Gabriel, like that you could have gone in that direction yeah. instead of maybe you should eat less. Um, then maybe you should eat less. It should be maybe, maybe there's a problem with how this is playing out and it's hurting everyone. Yeah. This also makes me feel like it is our job as readers and consumers of media too, to ask these questions and to really Mm. kind of use our uh, thoughtful eye approach to question who's, who's funding this journal or this writer and why are they taking this approach? So I think you bringing up that TikTok 
kind of helps me get more to the heart of it. And mm-hmm. I do that with most of my media anyway. You like do. who's backing yeah. this and why mm-hmm. are they writing about this? Because there's usually a, a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what kind of things came to mind for you? Like what type of systems of oppression are you like hearing or thinking about when you read this article? Oh, Does anything classism, come to mind for you? For sure. Yes. Tell me more about and that. I think primarily just thinking about access and those who are typically oppressed, the people mm-hmm. that are reading this article, I mean, they, they know their readership, right? And it's probably mm-hmm. not a majority people of color. And it's probably mm-hmm. not, it's people that subscribe. And that that's probably the top 1% of, of I'm, I'm going to say Americans, but um, it's going to be folks that have plenty of financial means. Uh, mm. And I mm-hmm. think that if we look at, you know, the WSJ's readership, they they know who they're writing to, to and for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can see all those one percenters like cheering with their egg sandwich. <laughs> right. They <read> this. <laughs> and their cup of coffee that is imported. Yeah. What the hell is wrong with um, instant coffee, by the way? I guess it's more expensive. I guess that's the, like, I I guess, like, that's why they're saying not instant. See, I I took it through the lens of, like, um, it's more processed. So I thought Mm. maybe that was why. Um, I was like, wow. Either one could be right. Either one. In this case. Gabriel, Gabriel, let us know where you're coming from with that. Yeah, reach out to us via email. Because instant (laughs) coffee, um, you know, it's shelf stable for a long time. Yes. Um, and it can be really incredibly affordable. Um, yes. That's why I thought about that. And, you know, I think about like in the United States versus other countries, especially in Europe, whenever I've gone to Europe, instant coffee is like, that's what people use, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So maybe not in all countries, but um, I just think about like, especially like places I've been in, in um Ireland and um, Spain, like instant coffee was like what so many people were just using, like they loved it. So I don't know. And it tastes great. So whatever. (laughs) Um, So anyway, that would just bug me. I'm like, what the hell is with that one? Um, But yeah, classism definitely is something that I picked up in this too. And also misogyny. Like there's a part of misogyny that I was getting from it. And I think I've talked about in this podcast before, but I don't know if we we have Colleen, but... um, something I noticed like in like mom culture and I can remember getting engaged in this as well of like feeling really proud of doing more with less, um, like cutting coupons, thrifting. Um, the listener doesn't know this, but, um, Toby, our editor and Colleen knows my like son just interrupted me while we're recording because we're going to go to a, a kid's consignment sale and he loves going because he can like buy some toys with his money. Um, but anyway, like that's a big part of um, the like mom culture and, and lots of other places too is like, how can I do more with less? And then also how can I um, fix things behind the scenes without people even knowing and make it look like I still have my, my hair done and my makeup done, but mm-hmm. I was busy all day, um, doing all these things. And you know, that to me is a lot of misogyny of like, um, mm-hmm. 
you get this little budget and you have to figure out a way to feed the family. And this article seemed so much of like that for me too, of like, yes, okay, you got to be scrappy. Let's be scrappy here. Why don't you just cut out breakfast? Just cut it out. You know, yeah. Um, you can make again. Can where make does that bucks. stem from? Do you think? Oh, I think anti-fat bias for sure. Yeah, and like, and then misogyny is a part of that. Yeah, and and I I'm assuming racism as well. Yeah. Well, that's um, like the that's the that's the the big kahuna that drives the all big of kahuna <laughs> that drives everything. Uh, yeah. And oh. yeah, I just I think that. And, and we mm-hmm. are constantly pressured, all of us, to do more with less and to be mm-hmm. more productive and to run on empty. And mm-hmm. I think that's something that, you know, our, our team, at least here at Finder Food Voice, is trying to definitely change that. And, and mm-hmm. I think we do a great job of, of doing that. Well, thanks. Yeah, I um, <laughs> But I think that, you know, and, and I think that generations behind us. I'm a millennial, um, but I see Gen Z and, and you know, kind of the content that they're posting. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm glad to see that they're slowing down and resting mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. encouraging that for themselves mm-hmm. and for the rest of us. So, I mean, maybe that'll be the generation that like really um, makes it normal to not work a 40 hour work week. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping. Me too. Yeah. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Me too. Yes. But yeah, it, let's talk about the anti-fat bias. Because um, yep. I do, like I mentioned a little before about that opinion piece in the medical journal, but I think about the person writing this article or anything, anybody who would write something similar or someone who agreed with it. Um, if we're looking at the world through the lens of fat is bad, um, having that as a part of the like wiring, um, there is this kind of phrase that I, I said earlier, like we can all do better by eating less, obviously, like waving your hands around, like obviously we all, we overconsume in America. Um, we would be way better off if we just ate less. And um, I have in my notes here to tell you a story <laughs> um, that I hope you don't mind Colleen, but I, um, when I was, I think I was still in my internship as a dietitian. We have to spend a lot of time in a hospital and I remember um, seeing some discharge orders for me as this dietitian. Um, and basically, when, before someone was discharged, a lot of times you had to go give them a diet instruction. And diet would mean lots of different things. It doesn't necessarily mean like cutting calories. It could be like if someone um, had diverticulitis and they needed to make sure that they knew they ought to eat anything with seeds for a while, <laughs> you know, like things like that. Yeah. But anyway, so I got a discharge diet instruction for a liquid diet. And, uh, and when you hear the phrase liquid diet in a hospital, that is, I actually think it said clear liquid diet. And like, that's what, you know, when you're first getting out of surgery, when you're allowed to first like use your GI tract, you're on clear liquids, bunny ears. Mm-hmm. And that just meant, you know, like broth, water, like, mm-hmm. and then eventually you could move on to, um, uh, I don't know. I forget the next step. Oh my gosh. It's been too long for me, but not too long since I've done clinical work. Um, but anyway, so I was, you don't discharge someone on this. Like it's, it's only for someone to use for like eight hours and then they move mm-hmm. on to solids. And so I was like, oh, maybe they pushed the wrong button. So I went and talked to the attending and I was like, hey, can you clarify this discharge instruction? And they were like, yeah, that I want them to go home on clear liquids. And I was like, oh, well, they are healing from surgery. like 
there's no way they're going to heal. And this person happened to be a higher weight person. And the doc was like, oh, he'll just be better off not eating for a while. That'll like be, I like, and I was like, what the actual fuck? Like, oh um, my God. Yeah. And so, and I, when I was like thinking about this, after I read this, this article, I was like, that may have been the first time I really noticed like medical anti-fat bias. Cause mm-hmm. it was like, it blew me away. I'm like, no human being should go home on a clear liquid diet. Like that's just like yeah. absurd, inhumane, and impossible. Yeah, with life. it's incompatible with life. You know. Yeah. Um, because it's like basically you'd live off broth. <laughs> like you can't, you can't do that. No, you you need to chew no. things. <laughs> well, like even like there's even like think there's something between solids and clear liquids, which is still not enough. But like, <laughs> like creamy broths, you know, like smoothie, where you can get some more like smoothie. Yeah. Yes, because you can't even have a smoothie on clear liquids. What the heck? <laughs> it's, I'm it's, not okay with this. It's like hysterical in how inhumane it is. Like it's just, yeah. it's ridiculous. And I, in that moment, I was like, I am ill prepared as a dietitian mm, to deal with this mm-hmm. kind of bullshit. And um, I went into that hospital room and I taught them what to eat. That was not a clear like a diet. And I knew I could have gotten into trouble, but I was like, this is just not okay. Um, but yeah, like, so I, there, there is this like overall sentiment that as Americans, we could do, we could, we would be a lot better off if we just ate one less meal a day. Like, it's like this assumption and it's kind of goofy, but also like serious, you know, um, it's like you save money and you eat less. So that's great. I just want to respond to this and be like, you do not know me as a person. And let me tell you, when I don't eat, I'm not a nice person. (laughs) So yes, that's when you should write the comment to to Gabriel or whoever like this. Hey, just wanted you to know I'm angry for multiple reasons. (laughs) Yeah. Including my blood sugar being low in this moment because (laughs) I didn't have my breakfast like you suggested. Like Um, you suggested. Yeah. Yeah. So um, is there a lawsuit in this? I'm wondering. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to be litigious, but still, like, it's pretty, it's pretty fucked up. Um, I'm appreciating that, you know, we've been talking for almost a half an hour, so I know we need to wrap up, but like, so we didn't even get into, like, we started to peel back some classism, accessibility. There's lots of perfectionism in this too. Um, I'm thinking about maybe we should end it with like, maybe some options, some solutions, yeah. if you are in the place where you cannot afford breakfast. And yeah. this may, be, it may have been your life for a long time, even before, quote, inflation made the eggs price go up. You know, like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm saying it like that because we all know what really is causing it. It's not really inflation. Um, but yeah, like if someone doesn't have money to buy eggs and that was like their go-to, um, you know, the thing I think about first as a dietitian is like, is there any, if you love a protein at breakfast, what about like other proteins that you maybe wouldn't call a breakfast food in the United States? Um, you know, I, I talked about Europe earlier, but like meat, like um, I know you have some German connections, Colleen, like like meat mm-hmm. at breakfast, that's like ham. I don't know, like regular meat is like a big part of it or beans um, is a big part of the the like typical breakfast staples in other cultures. So Mm -hmm. I would encourage folks to like, Hey, it's okay to have leftovers from dinner. It's okay to have. Yeah. There's a lot of 
like other mm-hmm. foods, maybe that you wouldn't typically think of as breakfast foods, but like mm-hmm. nourish yourself in the morning. It, it's okay yeah. to There's do no that in different ways. Food. Yeah. Yeah. There may be like a food that you don't feel as energized by, um, but like eating something is always better than nothing. Yes. I'll also say there are some really incredible community resources too for folks, um, food pantries and community fridges. Uh, one of our those. team members I know like is an active participant in putting recipes and food in a local community food fridge. And she's a it's damn like, good chef too. And she is a damn good chef. <laughs> so she's just putting like, she's just like giving these things as, as needed. So look for some of those resources in, in your community mm-hmm. as well um, and see, you know, what, what's out there. I also see, uh, I'm part of our next door community, which is an app you can download and mm-hmm. I'll see folks ask for things sometimes on there. Um, and like, it's kind of a, you know, no, no, anything needed. You can just give what you want, take what you want from mm-hmm. that community. But mm-hmm. I've given things before on there, um, and can also be a great, great resource too. Yeah. And I, you know, the thing about this article that really pisses me off is it is um, making it seem like foods that are not shelf stable um, should not be options for breakfast. And Mm. again, that's kind of the classism. Mm -hmm. Um, Also like how we even process eggs in this country is so different. I don't know if you, when Mm -hmm. you've gone to other countries, if you noticed like eggs are not refrigerated, they're just like all stacked up in the middle of the grocery store. It's because they didn't get rinsed. And so they have this protective coating that makes them last for six months outside of refrigeration. But in the United States, they wash that all off. Um, And I, you know, part of washing it off is because it's preventing some like E. coli, you know, spreading, but it also keeps it. So then you have to keep it in the fridge and they go bad and whatever. But anyway, I encourage everyone, I don't care what your economic accessibility is, like having shelf-stable food at home is healthy. It's important. Um, it is like a way to have diversity of your food choices by mm-hmm. having some canned and frozen food. Um, and yeah, I just wish there was a way to like magically with the fairy godmother, bibbidi boppity boo, um, destigmatized canned food and yes, like macaroni and cheese. I don't know things that are in like a box. Boxing canned food is important, stable. Um, I wish we could fix that because that would help with breakfast. You know, that would help with those kinds of things. Um, and I think another thing I would say too, is this highlights how much it's, how important it is to be active locally in your own like area. Um, in North Carolina where I live, there's been so much, um, stealing of votes because of how they decide like voting districts. Like they've done like some really shitty illegal things with deciding like how to like arrange districts. I don't know the exact names for these things, but um, you know, we need to make a stink about stuff like that because if we can help support local change, then, you know, that'll make a difference to folks in your community who don't have access to breakfast. But I don't know if I missed anything. What, I don't know if there's any solutions you have on your end. Yeah, I think I, I shared kind of those those things mm-hmm. that I, I would think of. And um, if you are someone that uh, has a higher financial or economic means maybe than um, mm-hmm. other folks, like also do your part. 
Um, yeah, because yes. I, I'm in a place now where I feel like I can, I set aside a budget to, to help in, in different mm-hmm. ways. So, um, pick, pick things that feel good to you and, and resonate and align with your beliefs and your values and contribute to those. Yes. I think that's a good place to stop. Thank you for writing up this diet culture IRL for texting me this article. You know, we were just had finished up our pa- previous episode of Die Culture IRL and we had nothing in the queue for the next one. We're like, oh my gosh, we have nothing. And like literally Colleen texted me like five minutes later. I was like, well, we don't have to worry about it anymore because look at this shit. <laughs> so thank you universe for always providing. It'd be great if we didn't have any topics for Die Culture IRL. Yes. That's the, that that's would be the a great goal. thing. That's our that's goal. That's the goal. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, until then, I'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs> so there you have it. I hope you got a lot out of my conversation with Colleen Brebner. In this episode's Diet Culture IRL, we hope that you go on, go on with yourself having a nourishing, satisfying breakfast. And let's just really stop poor journalism, not the meals. Anyway, like I said, we hope you enjoyed the conversation and we'll be back next week. This episode of Find Your Food Voice is brought to you by our PCOS Power Cravings class. You can get to all of the details at bit.ly slash PCOS Carb Cravings. Again, it's bit.ly slash PCOS Carb Cravings. And we will have the links in the show notes for the class and then all the other links that we mentioned in this episode, of course. And if you enjoyed this episode, we are so glad it, we would appreciate a rating or review, subscribing or sharing an episode. Sharing the episode on places like social media does a lot to help other people find the show and does a lot with just the algorithm within Apple Podcasts. So thank you so much in advance. All right. Thank you again for joining us this week. And we look forward to seeing you next week for another episode of Find Your Food Voice. Take care. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is the Find Your Food Voice podcast. Ready to join the anti-diet movement and take the Food Voice pledge? Go to julieduffydillon.com and sign your name to the growing list of people saying no to diets and yes to their own food voice. The Find Your Food Voice podcast is produced by me, Julie Duffy Dillon, and my team of kick-ass folks. I couldn't make the show without Yelly Cruz, assistant producer and resident book fiend, and Colleen Bremner, customer service coordinator and professional hype master. Audio editing is from Toby Lyles at 24 Sound. Music is Fly Free by Hartley. Are you looking for episode transcripts? Get them at julieduffydillon.com, where you can also submit letters for the podcast, give us feedback, and sign the Food Voice Pledge. We need your voice to end diet culture. We literally can't do this without you. Subscribe to the Find Your Food Voice podcast to get weekly inspiration and education on how we can defeat diet culture and reclaim our own food voice. I look forward to seeing you here next week for another episode of the Find Your Food Voice podcast. Take care.